Good morning, everybody. I am just thrilled that there are people in the room. I did not know. Um, did you see the big glowing ball in the sky? Haven't seen it for about eight months, and so you are a holy group of people. I am honored to be here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the pastors. Thank you for choosing this over vitamin D. Um, as I was walking in, somebody said, Grant, can we talk about something happy this morning? No. Um, so we can't. <laughs> Actually, we've got this week and next week, then we're going to wrap up the low series. The following week, so three weeks out, we're going to do an Ask Me Anything weekend. We did one of those before. That's where you live text in questions. I fly without a net. I have no prep. I don't know what to study ahead of time. You ask questions. We actually have a conversation because we think uh, Christianity is supposed to be a conversation. And then we start a brand new series. We're going to walk through the first 39 chapters of the book of Genesis. There's some crazy stuff. If you want to read ahead, I'd encourage you to get there, and that will be... Great. I was just having a low moment backstage because um, I was looking at a chair where my friend Brian used to sit every weekend. Brian was a faithful member of our safety and security team here at Christ the King. And for about 14 years, Brian, uh, every weekend, would sit on the same stool backstage with me. Uh, we had some weirdness here a couple of years ago. Um, somebody was leaving nasty, threatening notes on my windshield. And, and so we started taking extra precautions where we have people just kind of posted around, just watching, making sure that the family is safe. And Brian took the safety of my family very, very seriously. And this past week, after a short but unbelievably intense battle with cancer, now Brian got an upgrade. He got to go home. And I'm, I'm jealous, but I'll be honest with you, I'm sad this morning because of the empty stool backstage. And, and I was sitting there looking at the stool, and it just kind of put a slideshow through my mind. We, we have lighted more funerals in 2016 than in any other year of being a pastor over the last 28 years. And I just started seeing pictures in my mind of friends who have gone home ahead of us. And... Uh, I started thinking about this guy earlier this week. I lost a friend last year. His name was Raymond. Raymond uh, was an incredible guy. He sang in our choir. He led worship. He even worked for us for a time. We called him the singing caretaker because everywhere that Raymond went, he was singing at the top of his lungs while he was working a mop. And more importantly than just being an employee, Raymond was a friend. I saw him come to Jesus. I saw his highs. I saw his lows. And, uh, and he saw mine because we don't do this elevated hierarchy thing around here and Whenever I'd leave the building for the day and Raymond would catch me going out the door, he'd always do the same thing. He'd go, who loves you, Pastor G? And I'd turn around and I'd go, who loves you, Raymond? And neither one of us needed to answer because we both knew the answer. We'll never forget the day that Raymond asked, he said, I, I need to see you in your office. And I walked into my office and Raymond was sitting in one of my comfy chairs and his hands were shaking without looking up. He said, I need to tell, I need to tell you something. He goes, before I came to Jesus, I was an addict. Okay, and that was not a surprise to me because I knew Raymond's story really, really well. I got to watch his transformation with a front row seat. And he told me, he said, when I was an addict, I actually used to come to church here and kind of hang out in the back row. And he goes, I need to tell you something. One weekend we were doing communion and I stole a couple of purses while people were up taking communion. Even Raymond admitted that was pretty low to steal a purse during communion. But you know what? Things had changed for him. And now that he knew Jesus, he was a new creation and he wanted to make it right and he didn't know how, but, but repentance had brought him to a moment when he just knew he needed to make it right. And he was a little freaked out when I looked at him and said, Raymond, can I tell you something? I actually know the two ladies whose purses you stole. They're still here. 
And he said, I need to make it right. And, and he was not only willing to make it right, he was willing to, to pay it back. He said, I'll, if they need, want me to turn myself into the police, I'm willing to do that. Whatever it is, I just want a clear conscience and a clean heart. And we're going to leave Raymond sitting in my office, but I promise you I'll finish the story by the time we're done this morning. Hopefully that will, that will hold you here so we don't get so stuck in the low that we end up walking out of here depressed, okay? But this is the statement we've been coming to all the way through the series. Life's lowest moments bring the greatest opportunity to see Jesus as the source of all hope. And that's where we want to get to today. We want to get to Jesus because that particular moment with, with that statement and Raymond sitting in my office brought about my mind to this passage of scripture where the apostle Paul is writing to a church that he had to correct. Okay, can we admit nobody likes to be corrected? I don't like to be corrected. You don't like to be corrected. Because if we have to be corrected, it means we may have to just proverbially, metaphorically, figuratively, kind of, we may have to actually admit that we may have done something wrong. And none of us like to do that. Nobody likes to be wrong. Paul writes a letter to this group of people called the Corinthians. He actually writes it to their church. And, and, and he hurts their feelings. He hurts their feelings. Listen to him. This is what he says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed in any way by us. Sometimes you've got to say hard truth. And if you do it with a pure heart, you still run the risk of, of hurting someone's feelings. But I need you to know this because it's so unbelievably important. There is a huge quantum difference between hurting someone's feelings and harming someone's soul. Okay? It's never cool to harm a person's soul, but you may have to hurt their feelings. And I know people are going to wonder about your motive and your agenda and all of the rest of that. But you, Paul just says, I, I know I actually caused you some pain, but you need to know if you stick with me over the long haul, this is actually going to work out really well. Because more than being sorry, it, it actually led you to a place of repentance before God. And that's where all the work needs to be done. The Bible continues in verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance. It leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you've proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong or on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By this, all of this, we're encouraged. So wrapped up in all of these words, that's a lot of words, isn't it? Is a one-word sermon. It's a one-word sermon. It's the sermon of Jesus, Paul, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, and every other prophet in history. It's the powerful one-word sermon that nobody wants to hear. And the word is repent. It's repent. I'm tempted to preach a one-word sermon right now. I'd like to say, hi, my name's Grant, one of the teaching pastors. Repent. We're going to bring this service to conclusion by giving back to God our tithes and our offerings. And some of you are like, do it. Of all the weekends, for the love of Jesus, Grant, do it now. Just say repent and let us go. No, okay? Just saying. As soon as I say that word repent, some of you get a picture in your mind of a guy at Pike Place Market in Seattle with no shirt but a sandwich board, right? And he's walking around. It's got one word on it, repent. And you're like, what's the difference between that and this? There's a huge difference. This word is easily misunderstood. 
You hear it all through scripture. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, repent and be baptized. Repent, repent, repent. What in the world does that word mean? Repentance means deep sorrow or remorse over a past sin. It's not cool to say the word sin. Hopefully you're going to get used to it because we're going to talk about it a lot this morning. I think it's important. Repentance means to be low and contrite in the face of a past failure where you, where you just got it wrong. Repentance goes beyond feelings. It goes way beyond feelings to the action and the purpose of turning away from the sin where you're so wrapped in remorse that you turn away from that path and you turn towards the cross and towards Jesus knowing his response already. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Repentance is a change of mental and spiritual attitude towards an action that broke God's heart. So if you indulge me for a little bit this morning, I promise you we're going to end up in, in a happier vitamin D enhanced place by the time we get there. But we got to go to the low place of repentance first. This passage teaches us that repentance leads to purposeful and godly grief. Sometimes it hurts to look back. The Bible says godly sorrow brings repentance. And if you've never heard it before, according to the Bible, this is what godly repentance sounds like. Genesis 18, I am but dust and ashes. Job 42, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah chapter 6, I am a man of unclean lips. Do you notice something about all of these statements? There's no excuses. There's no blame and as you hear that, when was the last time you experienced godly sorrow? Because something that you did literally weighed on your heart, not just because of the action, but because you know it broke God's heart. When you're convicted of a sinful action, there's a grief that settles in on your soul over the choices you made and the damage that you did. And when you see the imperfection of your own sin, you're pressed low because you understand there's a big gap between this perfect, beautiful all-encompassing, all-knowing God and the place where we all fall short. And in between that huge gap, there's a place for godly grief. When Peter saw Jesus, he knew his own heart, and this is what he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Basically, I just, I need you to go away. When John saw the revelation of Jesus, his response was, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. Godly sorrow should be seen, felt, and heard. Now, I want you to notice something here. It says godly grief leads to repentance, but then it says worldly grief or worldly sorrow leads us in a different direction. So let me just cut to the chase and put it this way. If it's not godly repentance, when you regret the consequences more than the offense. Let me say that again and let it sink in. It took me a while too. It's not godly repentance when you regret the consequences more than the offense. I'm sorry that I got caught is not repentance. You know why? Because it doesn't take the sin seriously. And let's, let's just go there today. Can, can, would you indulge? Let's just go there. All sin is a rejection of God. It's slapping away the hand of grace. It's spitting in the face of mercy. And we all do it a lot and I am not immune. And if we started having a repentance contest right now, I promise you my pile would be bigger than most of the people in this room because I know my corrupt soul better than anybody. 
No matter what you do or who you are, none of us are exempt from this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, when a preacher of righteousness has stood in the way of sinners, he should never again open his lips in the great congregation until his repentance is as notorious as his sin. So let me ask you a question. Is your repentance as notorious as what you've done? And I have to ask that of myself too. Let's keep going. Repentance leads to godly grief. There's a result. Repentance from sin actually creates a disgust and a distaste over the sin or over the action. Listen to Paul's words. He goes, what earnestness, what earnestness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. Genuine repentance creates just kind of this knot in the bottom of your stomach where you look at what you did and you go, oh, And it sounds like this. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be that kind of person. I I, I want my mouth to change. I want my mind to change. I want my attitude to change. I don't want to be a victim anymore. I I want to own my own stuff. I want to stop being, I want want to stop being this common factor that runs through all of these broken relationships. It's a biblical way of saying yuck. When we repent, Sin loses its attraction. You just don't want it anymore. The the little word clear there, when it talks about a clear conscience or or to clear yourself, it's the Greek word apologia, which we get our normal word apologize from or apologetic. When we're truly repentant, it just allows us the humility to be able to go to somebody and just say, look, I was wrong. I don't have any excuses for my action. I only hope that you can forgive me. And so I'm going to ask you to do exactly that. And when that actually happens in your soul, the response is not yuck, it's peace. It's peace. Let's keep going. Repentance opens the heart to restitution. Listen to these words. It says, what readiness to see justice done. Raymond's sitting in my office. And he says to me, I want to pay back my debt. It was just amazing in my mind, right? Because he wanted justice, not for himself. He wanted justice on himself so that he could move forward. I mean, the act of restitution is, is putting something back the way it originally was. Whatever was taken needs to be placed back. And I'll tell you what, I know a lot of people who let their repentance get stuck at restitution because they get stuck with this in their mind. You know, I, I confessed it to Jesus. Jesus and I are good. And that's awesome. But Jesus actually says, there's another step. You need to go and make it right with that person because it's good for your soul. You got to pay a price to make it right. And taking the step of restitution, it's an act of trust that says, Jesus, no matter the outcome, I believe you are worth doing the right thing. I believe your reputation is so important that I'll take whatever I need to in order to make you famous. So let's get really, 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 really personal. That ream of paper that you took from the office, you need to give it back. A package of socks that just found its way into your Walmart cart needs to be made right. That $20 bill from your mom's wallet, it needs to go back. And just so we're clear, that doesn't mean you steal her wallet again, slip it back in and put it back where it was in the first place. 
I tried that once. It did not go well for me, okay? That ladder from your neighbor that just never found its way home, the music you pirated off the internet, whatever that happens to be, that thing you're thinking about right now, that you're just like, Grant, get out of my brain, get out of my head, I don't want you to talk to me anymore, la, 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 la. It was not that big of a deal, leave me alone. You've gone from preaching to meddling back off. That's the thing. Now I can already hear the excuses because I've said all of them. Every single one of them. Here's some excuses that some of us may give when it comes to restitution. What well, happened a really, really long time ago? Really? Does your Bible contain a statue of limitations on doing the right thing? Mine doesn't. Can't find it anywhere. You find anything in your Bible that says if you just leave a bad thing alone long enough, eventually it will become good? I cannot find that anywhere in my Bible. How about this excuse? They moved. They're no longer in business. Really? Got a one-word answer for you. Google. <laughs> Not hard. It's Google. Okay, all right. How about this one? It was just a small, insignificant thing. If it was so small and insignificant, why do you still remember it? Come on, Grant. <laughs> the size of an offense makes no difference when it comes to the need for making it right. How about this one? Well, things are better now. Okay. Good feelings are not a substitute for justice and an opportunity to repent and make it right. How about this one? It will ruin my reputation if I make it right. Your reputation before who? People or God? I'm going to remind you, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I saw a story the other day in the Associated Press of a man who had high government clearance was convicted by Jesus. They didn't say that in the article, but that's what he was inferring. He was convicted of Jesus, by Jesus, that during his application process to get his security clearance, he'd actually lied about his past. And Jesus convicted him over and over and over again to the point where he went to his superior and said, I need to actually confess this to you. And the guy said, are you crazy? Like you could lose your job over this. He goes, I know. But I need to do what's right in the eyes of God. It actually made the Associated Press because they revoked his security clearance while they did an investigation. They moved his, his desk out into the hallway because he wasn't allowed to go through a door because he no longer had the security clearance. Some of you saw the story. You're nodding your heads. He's out in the hallway and he goes, this was the craziest thing. He goes, what I thought would be a, a place of embarrassment and shame actually became a place of opportunity because people kept walking by going, why are you out here in the hallway? Was, because Jesus convicted me that I needed to make something right. Forget your reputation. What about the reputation of the Jesus that you serve and love? How about this excuse? It'll cost me money. Well, it cost somebody else money when you took it. So now you're just going to balance the scales. How about this one? I'll do it later. When everybody says that, I'll get to it. I'm just like, so you want to stay in bondage longer? Really? How does that go? How about this one? Well, the other person was more wrong than I was. We've got this great saying in 12 steps. You just clean your side of the street. You can't worry about the others. You just clean your part of the street. How about this one? Well, the people that I wronged weren't Christians. <laughs> I've actually heard that, right? Even more reason to show them how a follower of Jesus is supposed to act when they need to make it right. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to do the right thing. Or how about this one? Well, it happened before I came to Jesus. Okay, I want you to know something. Your salvation does not invalidate the offense, okay? If you stole a million dollars and then got saved, your salvation doesn't mean the money now belongs to you, right? Isn't it weird how we do these connections in our head? 
classic excuses. Let me sum them all up. And hopefully when I'm done this sentence, somebody says amen. Jesus paid it all, and you should pay it back. Let's keep going. Repentance opens the door to personal revival. And listen to what Paul says. He says, what fear, what longing in the context of repentance. Earlier you read the, the, the human responses to God's presence. I'm done. I'm dead. I, 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 I mean, that comes from healthy fear of who God is. Think about it in these terms. If you fear fire, you step back. If you're afraid of heights, you step back. If you're afraid of water, you stay shallow. That's just the way it is. If you fear God, you do the opposite. You step in and you go deep. That's what God wants from his people. Why? Because God has a promise for you. If you're willing to follow this step as difficult as it is, Jesus says, I'll meet you there. I won't let you drown. When you walk through the fire, I will be there. That's what your Bible says. When you walk through the river, the water will not wash over top of you. You just see whether or not God does not show up in that low moment of repentance because you're modeling yourself perfectly after his gracious, loving, forgiving heart. We're supposed to fear him. And that doesn't mean we're afraid of him. It means there's a reverential respect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and repentance allows that beginning to start fresh over and over and over and over again. When Raymond had his opportunity to make things right, I saw him the very next morning whistling through the building. It was like he was floating off the ground. Why? Because the burden was gone. And God met him there. Let's keep on moving. Repentance allows you to move forward. You know, what drove Raymond to my office that day was he wanted to move on with his life, but he knew before he could move on, he needed to go back because he didn't want any regret. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 7, and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow, it removes the regret of the past. It allows you to focus on your future. We do this and experience this every single time we get in a car. Has anybody else noticed that your rearview mirror is about 10% of the size of your windshield? There's a purpose for that. If you spend your life trying to drive your vehicle only using your rearview mirror, there's, it's only a matter of time until you crash and burn. Some of you drive the guide. You're just like, I see that every day, right? There's a reason why your rearview mirror is so small. Is it there? Is it necessary? Absolutely. Sometimes I got to look back and remember the lesson. But I can never get so obsessed with what's in my rearview mirror that I forget God's invitation to look forward to this brand new future that he has for me. Don't look back all the time. Look forward. Repentance allows you to actually put that car and drive and go. Let's add one more. Repentance touches the whole family. Raymond was a mess when I brought him in and sat him in my office and then two ladies came and joined us. He stared at the floor for a long time and then he confessed what he did. He repented. He offered restitution and said, you, I will be willing to pay whatever cost you need me to, even if it includes going to jail. He was humble. He was a godly man. And they forgave him. Two godly women canceled the debt, forgave him, 
and encouragement flooded that room. I was so encouraged by Raymond's courage. I was encouraged by the godly response of these two ladies who let it go. I was just encouraged. I was just the happiest guy in the room because I, he took a huge risk and godliness and righteousness showed up in the room. And by the time we're done, people are hugging each other. I mean, people are crying. I'm just like, this is just a really, really cool thing. I was just so encouraged, especially by these two ladies. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to divulge their identity, but their initials are Christina Archer and Denny Starbuck, just so you know, Okay. <laughs> It was just so beautiful. And that's why this passage, pretty heavy stuff, finishes with these words. By all this, we're encouraged. When God's people do the right thing, we all get to be encouraged. When God's people choose repentance, the entire family gets to celebrate. Many of you did not know Raymond, and you're encouraged by his story. Many of you did, and you're even more encouraged. Because you got a front row seat. Here's the bottom line. I know repentance seems like an unbelievably low moment, but we need to know this. The low moment of repentance reveals the hope of Jesus' mercy. So some of you are thinking, I don't know. Do I really want to go back? Do I really want to make it right? This is Jesus' promise to you. If you go there, I'll meet you there. I'll show up. If you do what I've asked you to do and risk repentance, I will show up. So it took me more than just one word. 2,506 to be exact at this point. But the message is still the same. When God's people choose to repent, God shows up. Why wouldn't we do that? Well, because we're human. <laughs> because it's hard. Because we may have to take a low posture in order to go back. But once again, God says, if you go low, I'll meet you there. So, I have no idea what God is prompting you to do right now. I spent some time last night talking with people up here at the front. Things ranged from making phone calls to writing letters to doing what needed to be done. Can't guarantee how the person's going to respond. But I can tell you this, if you do the right thing, your Father in Heaven will be so unbelievably proud of you. And you will not be shaken. So church, would you stand with me this morning as we close? Father God, I thank you for the work that needs to be done with all of us. Lord Jesus, none of us are perfect. We don't get it right. But Lord, whatever you call us to do, may we be obedient and faithful. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to be honest and open. God, I thank you that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. And Lord, now as we step into our real worlds, may we be open this week to take the low road of repentance, knowing that Jesus will meet us there. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,
So for the record, thank you for coming. We're glad that you're here. It is 10.30. You're out on time. You're welcome. I understand the pressure. Some of you are starting to twitch. Um, if you need prayer for anything, the prayer team will be here. And please stop in the comments and say hi to some of our community partners and see where God might be able to use you as you go. Be blessed, church. Have a good day.